We're going to go to the book of Job tonight, Job chapter number one. We're going to be in Job for the next weeks ahead. Not sure how long. It's a long, it's a long book, 42 chapters, so you know, we may make it to the millennium. I don't know. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to work on it and see what God has for us here. Job chapter one in your Bible. And when you find that, if you'd stand for the reading of the Word of God in honor of His Word. I'd love to see families serving the Lord together. And I appreciate the Hendricks family, their willingness to sing unto the Lord. For the next weeks ahead on Wednesday night, Lord willing, we'll be talking about the faith of Job. We've heard about it and heard about it and heard about the faith of Job. And he was a man of great faith, wasn't he? There's not any doubt about that. Um, but I think there's a lot we can glean here that will help us uh, to stand firm, stand strong, no matter what might be happening in our own lives. Job chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were, uh, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. I titled this message for tonight, A Look at the Man and a warning to us. And I believe we can see both tonight. You may be seated. We've already prayed, and we'll get on into the message. If you're here tonight, and you're a parent, and have been a parent very long, uh, you've probably heard this come from your child. But it's not fair. <laughs> and believe it or not, those are some great teaching moments when they say something like that. Um, there's times that you need to sit down with your children and remind them that, hey, life's not fair. doesn't say anywhere in the Word of God that it is. And when I say that, I mean the matters of life don't always work out the way that we think they should, the way we think they should. Um, mo many of you here know Brother Kent Hogan. Brother Kent Hogan lost not only one wife, he lost two wives to cancer. Two wives to cancer. He's got married to a wonderful lady now, but uh, lost two wives to cancer. Um, that don't seem so fair, does it? And I talked to a good brother, good preacher friend of mine this past week that seems to be going through one trial after another, after another, after another, after another. I'm talking about a good man of God 
that's been faithful for decades and is, is faithfully serving God now. And, and he, he's doing everything, as far as I know, the way that he should be doing things. And it just seemed like everything, every corner he turns, it's something else. Where's the fairness in that? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be super spiritual up here. It doesn't even make sense to me, some of these things that happen the way that they do. And why does God allow such things? What kind of world do we live in that such things should happen to everybody and, and that they happen to people who, really looking at it on a purely human scale, would be judged as good people? I mean, you have to say, oh, we're good people. I mean, those people are doing the right thing. I mean... How do we make sense out of all of this? The book of Job confronts us with life's unfairness and it really invites us to ask questions like that. Uh, Christopher Ashe, he's a theologian at the Tyndale House in England, he, he wrote this, quote, Job is a fireball book. It is staggeringly, it is a staggeringly honest book. It is a book that knows what people actually say and think. Not just what they say publicly in church. It knows what people say behind closed doors and in whispers. And it knows what we say in our tears. It is not merely an academic book. If we listen to it carefully, it will touch us, trouble us, and unsettle us at a deep level. End quote. And that's a pretty good explanation of the book of Job. Um, so let's, 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 let's take a little while as we get started here just to think about the book itself. Job is considered to be one of the oldest books in the Bible, if not the first written book of the Bible. And it's not a legend, it's not an allegory, it's a historical account of the life and the sufferings of a man called Job. Uh, two other biblical writers, Ezekiel and James, uh, both validate Job's existence. And Job is, I said earlier, a long book. And it is a long book. 42 chapters. You know, television may be able to resolve deep issues in an hour or two. But God knows there are no short and easy answers to these kind of problems. I mean, it takes time to work through things in, 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 in real life. Um, we, when, we un, when we confront the unfairness of life, sometimes it takes a while to untangle all of those things. Doesn't it? It doesn't. We don't have clear answers just right away. And although Job is uh, actual history, most of the book is written as poetry, and then it's presented as a drama. Um, as poetry, it's meant to engage both our minds and our emotions. It relies heavily on figures of speech and, and, and a very rich vocabulary to tell us the story. So to hear what Job has to say... We, not, we must not only read the words on the page, but we have to listen to how they're expressed. I mean, if you're going to read the book of Job, and you're going to get the storyline, if I can say it that way, it takes some thinking. It's not a book you can just skim through. It's not a book that you can just quickly go through and say, well, you know, that's, that's so rough. And we like to take the main points and we can make a very short story out of Job if we do take the main points and say this, and Job, Job was a good man, and then bad fell upon him, and his friends were ugly, and then God vindicated him, and then it all turned out good. I mean, it's, all, it's real easy to tell the story of Job, but I'm telling you, as you get into it, and you really see all the things he went through. Come on, think about this. 42 chapters. 
I mean, really, to read through, ponder, to meditate on the book of Job, it takes some real time. And as a drama, the story of Job is presented through seven different characters, if you will, if I can call them that, and four dis- distinct scene changes. And, it, and it's a very complex, uh, complex book, once again, that, that, that it, it, it weaves together several different themes. And it's, it's well suited to the complexity of the issues with which it deals, because it does deal with a lot of different things. And in the verses that we looked at tonight, God introduces us to the times in which Job lived and to the testimony that he had among men and he had a wonderful testimony among men I mean tremendous testimony and they set the stage for one of the major themes of the book which is that the worst of trials can come upon the best of men it can happen absolutely so we think about the setting of Job the place where Job lived the, the the land of us and the exact location of us is is not known uh, Jeremiah identifies us as uh, east of the Jordan River and southeast from the Dead Sea. Uh, however, that was several hundred years after Job and is believed uh, uh, after Job was believed to have lived. And so, the people in the places that are mentioned in Job would suggest that us was an area associated in our day with the southern portion of Iraq or down in Kuwait. And there's such a problem, there, there's such a problem that, that there is such a problem knowing the exact location of us is one, edu- uh, one indication of the age of the book, that it is a very, very old book. And the age, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, the exact period in which Job lived is not known either. And there's some evidence that Job might have lived during the patriarchal period associated with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We, we know that Jacob acted as the, I'm sorry, we know that Job acted as the priest of his family. And that was a practice that was done away with under the Mosaic law. And, and then Job's wealth is described in the same terms used in Genesis uh, to describe wealth over there, compare Job chapter 1 verse 3 with Genesis 24 verse 34 and 35. And then the description of Job's death in, in uh, Job chapter 42 and verse number 16 is simil- uh, 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 similar to that of Abraham and to that of Isaac. And then his long life is very comparable uh, to the men of the patriarchal, patriarchal period. So then, then, then there's the omission I'm sorry. Then there is the omission of any mention of the law of Moses. We don't hear any mention of the law of Moses. Now I have to believe that if, 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 if that already happened, that Job's friends would have likely been quoting that. Come on, Noah, in their support of trying to put Job down and what he was doing. I, I believe they probably would have been bringing up the law of Moses if it, if it had already hope, uh, happened in their arguments against him. And so the point is this, if Job is the oldest book in the Bible, it makes us realize the, that the unfairness of life in a fallen world is one of the oldest and most significant problems that mankind has had to deal with. Now that's a pretty good statement there. If it is the oldest book in the Bible, it makes us realize that the unfairness of living in the fallen world is one of the oldest and most significant problems that mankind has had to deal with. 
for at least 4,000 years, and probably even longer than that, men have been wrestling with the question of why such horrible things happen in the lives of some of the least deserving people. Why is this happening to them? Why are they going through this? Why are they having to suffer all of this? And then we think about the character of Job. He's described as the perfect man. Isn't that something? No, really. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. Perfect. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean sinless. We know that's not the case, right? Come on, Romans 3.23, For all of sin come short of the glory of God. We know he wasn't sinless. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We know that we're all sinners. So Job was a sinner. But God said that he was a perfect man. So what, is it, what it does mean is that outwardly, as far as men could see, Job was a thoroughly righteous man. And you think about it, the same was said about Noah. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, it says Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. So Job was blameless. He was a man of impeccable character. He was described as an upright man also. An upright person is one that makes a firm decision to live up to what is right. No, they make the decision, I'm going to do right, no matter what. No matter what anybody else does, no matter which way anybody else goes, I'm going to live right, I'm going to live upright, I'm going to do those right things. No, no, no matter the pressures, no, no matter what anybody says, I'm going to do right. He was an upright man, he made the decision to do right. And we know this, we know this, uprightness begins in the heart. That's where it starts. The Word of God declares that. Psalm 710, My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. Psalm 32, 11, Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. So uprightness begins in the heart. It's a heart issue. We have to make that decision from the heart that we are going to do the right thing. Men, women, boys, or girls, we have, to, we have to make that decision, don't we? Come on, again, you parents that have raised children, you want your children to make decisions that they're going to do right. And, well, God is our Heavenly Father. He wants us to make decisions that we are going to do right, that we're not going to veer away from His Word. We're not going to, we're not, we're not going to leave the path that He has us on, the, the path that He has set for us, that we are going to continue to do right. And no one will be upright who does not sincerely desire to keep themselves right with God, because God is the one that keeps us on that path. So we have to sincerely desire that we are going to keep our heart right with God. The heart that, you know, nobody else knows about. I mean that we're not going to allow things to stay in our heart that are going to cause us to do things that would be ungodly. That, that we're, not, we're not going to harbor grudges and bad feelings in our heart. We're, we're not going to harbor hate in our heart. Uh, we're, not going to, we're not going to do, well, so the list could go on. We're not, going to, we're not going to do these things in our heart and then come and act like nothing's wrong along the way. No, we have decided I am going to do right. So that starts with us getting alone with God on a regular basis and making sure that our heart is right with God first and foremost so that, so that, that we will continue to walk and do the things that God would have us to do. And the reason that, the reason that Job was good at that, this seemingly is that Job feared God. 
Oh, it says it right there. I'm not making it up. Uh, uh, Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God. He feared God. That's a good thing. The, the fear of God is the continual awareness that we are being watched by a holy, just, almighty God. Come on, we're being watched by Him. Come on, day and night, 24-7, we are being watched by God. It's good to have a healthy fear of God, that God is watching us, that He not only sees our outward motions, but He knows our heart. And so He's watching us. A healthy fear of God is good because it keeps us doing the right thing. I know probably none of your kids in here would be like this, but there are children, you know, that act really good when their parents are around. And then they don't act so good when their parents aren't around. I know none of your kids are like that. I'm just saying, there are those like that, aren't there? Somebody say amen. It's a fact. Well, I mean, we have to realize that our Heavenly Father has His eye on us all the time. It's good to have a healthy fear of God. Look, you may think you're getting by with something along the way, but truly none of us are getting by with anything at all. We need that fear of God. And it's produced by the conviction, by the real conviction that God weighs our deeds and He judges our motives and He considers our words that come out of our mouth and He considers every thought that we harbor in our hearts. God considers those things. Sure He does. Absolutely. When a man takes the nature of God seriously, he will fear both God's disappointment and his discipline. If he or she will fear God's disappointment and his discipline. But it also said that Job eschewed evil. That word there is a word that's archaic. We don't use it a lot anymore. And really, basically, what it means is to avoid by habit. To form a habit to not do bad things. To form a habit to stay away from evil. To form a habit that we won't get around anything that would cause us to do evil. I mean, really, it's a lot easier to keep from falling into sin when we steer clear of the paths that lead to temptation, isn't it? And so we make good habits that keep us from, that keep us from evil. And I think it's pretty easy to tell here, excuse me, that Job lived a very guarded life. Talking about he himself. He lived a guarded life. He, he was devoted to pleasing God. He wanted to please God. That's not a bad thought for any of us, is it? I want to please God. My heart's desire is to please God. I want to walk with God. I want to be what God would have me to be. Well, preacher, don't you know we're all sinners saved by the grace of God? Oh, believe me, I know. Because I know me real well. I know. I understand. But our heart's desire should be to please God. And not just when other people are around, but all the time. I mean, we should go to bed with that thought and wake up with that thought and go through the day with that thought. I want to please God. Stay with me here. I want to please my God. My Heavenly Father. It appears that he knew 
the destructive power of sin. And he did what he could do to avoid at all cost, whatever it took. Perfect, upright, feared God, eschewed evil. And, and I don't think we can say that Job's character is incidental to his story. I mean, it tells us that he genuinely believed in God. He, he valued a right relationship to God. He desired the blessing of God upon his life, and not only upon his life, on the life of his children, his family. And he lived in a manner that uh, he was convinced that God would bless. I said he lived in a way that he was convinced if I, if I do these things and live this way, then God's going to bless He's going to help. He's he's going to be there for me. So what would we normally expect? Thinking about what we just said about Job and all, what would we normally expect to happen in the life of a man like Job? We would expect him to be blessed. I mean, look at how he lives and how he raises his children and how he takes care of, how he takes care of his household and all these things. Man, I'm telling you, no wonder Job is so blessed. And he was. Oh no, he, he was. Absolutely so. Verse number three, uh, well, verse number two, there were born unto him seven sons, three daughters, had Ten children, his substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, uh, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, very great household. Pretty amazing. I mean, he was blessed with a large family, ten kids. That's a quiver full, that's for sure. Children are a heritage of the Lord. And a good family life, that's a great possession. I mean, wonderful possession. And that Job's home was uh, that, uh, that that Job's home was happy, and that his home was pleasant, is evidenced by the practice of each of his sons to call other members together to celebrate uh, his day. Uh, verse number four: And his sons went and feasted in their houses. Everyone uh, his day. When it talks about his day, it's talking about their birthday. Everyone his day and, and sent and called for their three sisters uh, uh, to eat and to drink with them. And so, man, they, they gather together on their special days, celebrate, have a good time. I mean, we can picture this family, wonderfully rich family tradition of eating together and, and laughing and joking and, and, and in general just having an all-around good time with other members of the family, celebrating their day. I mean, just, just having a good time. Nothing sinful at all is, is implied in the text there as they gather together. It's not like, well, they were just out being wicked and having this party and that's why Job had to pray for them. Well, hold it. Don't get too far ahead of me. We're going to address that too. But no, no, I don't see anything that, that is implied that his kids were being sinful, that they were being ugly. I, I don't see anything in that whatsoever. And, and we do know this, and he was a very blessed man, and we know that Job credited God for his blessing. He, he knew it was God that was doing this. And he credited him for, for, for that. And so Job did what he could, I have to believe, because of the way that it was, that he did what he could as a father to keep his family close to God. He wanted them to be close to God. <clears throat> I 
We know this, as a father, it was Job's responsibility to be the spiritual leader of his home. We know that. And I believe that he practiced that. I think we can see it here. We're going to address it. I think you can see it. He was to be the spiritual leader of his home and, and keep them close to God the way that a, a good father should do that in a household like that. And, and verse number 5 says this, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offering according to the number uh, of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And then it says this, Thus did Job continually. This wasn't just a something he decided to do every once in a while. So, fearful that his sons might forget where the blessedness came from. After they were through with their celebration and all, Job gathered them together. He said, Job sent and sanctified them. And he gathered them together after these family get-togethers to worship the Lord, and he made sacrifices for them. And where it says there, that term curse God, it's best understood in the terms of of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, where it talks about the danger of forgetting God. And I don't think it was like that he thought that, well, I'm just trying to keep my sons because they might get to a place where they're just cursing God. I don't think that's it. I think it better, better fits in here that, 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 that the, the danger that they faced was forgetting the Lord and, and, and failing to fear the Lord. And thus, because he said this, curse God in their hearts. In their hearts. So he was a good dad. Doing everything he could to keep his family headed in the right direction. Of course, he was blessed with great riches. Large flocks of sheep, herds of other livestock, as well as the servants to take care of them. It mentions them too. He had servants. I'm sure he took good care of them. He was blessed in a lot of different ways. But he was also blessed with a great reputation. Because it says there in verse number 3, the greatest of all the men of the East. (laughs) My God said that about him. I mean, what what a reputation. The greatest of all the men of the East. I mean, can you imagine? No, 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 come on, just, just, just bear with me just for a few more minutes. Can you imagine when somebody brought up Job's name? Oh man, Job's been blessed. Well, I tell you, those, those sons and daughters of his, 
I mean, they just seem to have one family just stuck together. Man, God's blessed him materially. He's got all that livestock and servants. This place is nice. And, and you see him out there, boy. I mean, he's offering sacrifices and serving God and doing what God would have him to do. Come on. I mean, what a reputation. What a testimony for the glory of God. So, the opening scene that we have here in the book of Job, it paints a picture, paints a picture of life as we, stay with me, I'm, I'm right, done. It paints a picture of life as we think it should be. The way we want to think about life. Well, if I serve God and I do right and I, and, and, and I stay away from evil and, and I keep God first and, 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 and I worship Him the way that I should, praise Him, and, and, and I guide my family in the way they should go and sacrifice to Him the way that I should and take care and, and of my family and, 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 and the servants and, and the people. If I, if I do these things that are right, man, oh man, my life's going to be blessed. I mean, it paints a picture of the way that we think it should be. I'm going to do all the right things. And if I do, nothing bad's going to happen. I'll be blessed. Come on, that's the way our mind likes to go, isn't it? It really paints a picture like that. Good men, good people should have a good life. I mean, come on, preacher, it only makes sense. Good men should have a good life. I agree. I'm, I agree. Men who honor God should, should enjoy the blessings of God. I believe that. I do believe that. Families where God is worshipped should be full of love and generosity. Yes, they should. Definitely so. I believe it. That is the way, please stay with me, I'm right done. That is the way that life should work. I believe that. In a perfect world, that's the way that life should work. The way it should work. But there's a couple of subtle truths that are introduced immediately into Job's story that prepares us to an extent for what is to come. The first was this, that Job's um, had a fear that his sons might curse God in their hearts. And so that reminds us of this. Stay with me, I'm done. I'm right at done. Please stay with me, get these. So it reminds us that things can be going on in the heart that might not be apparent to men. Things can be going on in the heart that might not be apparent to others. And Satan's going to use that truth against Job. It's coming. We'll see it. He's going to use that. But the second is this. The second is Job's offering of sacrifices. I mean, how fair is it that an animal should be killed to atone for the shortcomings of humans? 
And those two little things remind us. Those two, those two little things remind us that all is not right in Job's world. Just as it is not right in our world. And so that gives us the first big lesson that we can learn from this book. Which is this. As you live this life, do all the right that you know to do. But don't be surprised if more goes wrong in your world than you ever dreamed possible. Job was um, perfect and upright. He feared God. He shewed evil. Looking at his family before all the tragedy began, say, man, that guy has got it made. Living right. Blessed by God. So, so I believe that you and I ought to be godly. I believe we ought to be godly. It's the right thing to do. And, and I think we should expect to be blessed. I mean, I'm going to live right and God's going to take care of me. And, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not waking up every day going, I wonder if this is the day everything falls apart. I, no, no, no. I think we ought to be godly and live right to the best of our ability with God's help. We ought to expect the blessings of God because God blesses us every day. Somebody say amen. He does. But don't forget the kind of people that we are. We're sinners saved by grace. And don't forget the kind of world in which we live. Because I'm here to tell you, sometimes life just is not fair. It's not fair. We take a look at a man. God was blessing him. But I think we ought to take heed to the warning to us also. There's so much more we're going to see in this. But don't ever forget the end of the book. Because Job stayed faithful all the way through everything and God blessed him more than he ever dreamed he'd be blessed. Just because he continued to do right even when everything else fell apart. God blesses our faithfulness. We ought to pick up a lesson or two from Job in all of this. Let's stand. Would you stand with me, dear Heavenly Father? Thank you, Lord, for the Bible, how it directs our lives, how it helps us, warns us, gives us good encouragement to do things the way you would have us to do things. And I don't know how you may have spoken to hearts tonight. Lord, I just pray folks would come. I know that um, I know this life can be hard. And I know we have a lot of challenges. But I also know You're there for us no matter what. And so Lord, I pray as we open up the altars that 
folks would just submit themselves. Lord, we determine. I mean, we would decide that we're going to do the right thing no matter what has happened or what might happen, that we're committed to You and Your way, trusting You to see us through it all. Bless these next few moments around the altar, we pray. And thank You for Your goodness. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our heads are bowed. Many have already come to the altar. You need to come tonight. It will not take long. You need to come. Go ahead and step out now. Or maybe you need to just make an altar right where you are. Whatever God would have you to do, just let Him have His way.